tonight. All right, that's good. Well, I kind of announced what I was going to talk about tonight. Just got a few little things to say. But um, take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to look at two or three places, four or five places maybe before we get finished. I'm going to kind of teach, preach tonight. And so I'll give you a little bit of both. Romans 14. Grab that. Grab uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. Get both of those. Romans 14, we'll start out at, and we'll immediately go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <laughs> he likes, he's liking baby dolls over here. You better. <laughs> he likes girls. When I was his age, I'd play anything they'd put in my hand. Romans chapter 14, Romans 14, he's lively not, he looks happy. Romans 14, and then 2 Corinthians 5, all right, Romans 14, and the Bible says in verse number 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice that's the first time that's mentioned, and that's the term for this. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Even today, we talk about if you go to court, you have to stand before a judge. Well, that's what this is. And everybody's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's a testimony. And we're going to have to stand and he's going to, he's going to uh, be examining us and what we'll to give an account of things. And really that doesn't sound like it's going to be very pleasurable to me. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And again, the second time we see this term in the Bible, and it's the only two times, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest into your consciences. So two times here in the Bible, Paul wrote both times, in Romans and in 2 Corinthians, we read the subject of the judgment seat of Christ. And this morning we talked about the white throne judgment. And, of course, the white throne judgment, as we spoke about, that's dealing with the unsaved dead. That's, that's dealing with people that's never been saved, they've never been born again, lost people that's rejected Christ. They'll stand before him. Now, if you want to get real technical, and I'm not, I didn't do that this morning, but if you want to get really technical, there'll be more people judged there, too, because you've got people after the rapture, like in the tribulation period, that get saved. I mean, we'll be out of here. Our judgment will already happen. And so they got to be judged somewhere. And so they'll be judged there. People will be saved in the millennial reign of Christ. So there'll be people there judged there. So there's different groups that will be judged at that time. Probably even the people saved in the Old Testament will be judged there because they're, it's just different. They're going to be they're going to come in and inherit the, the uh, millennial kingdom and stuff after the tribulation and all that. And so that's a whole different thing for them. These are people that are saved by grace in the New Testament. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And every single one of us will. And so this evening, for just a few minutes, I'll give you a few things on that. And uh, we'll go to the 
house or go eat or whatever you, it is you do. That's what we'll do tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for blessing us tonight, and we just are glad to be here. And we pray that you might move freely and touch hearts. And thank you, Lord, for loving us and dying for us. Thank you for giving us a Bible that we can study and read. And, Lord, I just pray for your help, and uh, may you move tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've got three little things to say about this, and there's not a lot to it, but we're going to have to turn just a little bit before we get finished. But this first one's very simple. Look in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, notice number one, there's a must appear. And I kind of talked about that this morning. Nobody's getting out of the judgments, what I'm saying. There is a must appear. They say down here on earth that... Um, there's things you'll never get out of, like death and taxes. But if the rapture happens, I'm not going to die, and I sure ain't paying taxes. Amen. <laughs> I'm not worried about the rapture happens. We're out of here, you know what I mean? And so, and if the rapture happens, I'm not even going to die. But if the rapture doesn't happen, we're going to pay, we're going to die, and we're going to pay more taxes than we probably should have to, but we're going to have to anyway, just part of it, you know. Every year, and, and didn't they go up this past year? Did anybody notice that? You know, it's a big difference this past year. They've changed some laws. And, uh, man, that was painful as far as I was concerned. But anyway, it's just part of it. And you got to pay them and, uh, so they can do whatever they do with their money, which really, they'd be better off letting us keep it most of it, more than likely with what they're doing with it. <laughs> but anyway, there is a must appear. And everybody's going to appear. And we're going to stand before him is what the Bible says. And so we'll get there and you'll have your turn and I'll have my turn. If you've been saved, you're going to stand before the Lord. And we'll stand before there, and we're going to be given an account. That's what we're going to be. Now you say, well, who's doing the judging? The Lord Jesus Christ will be the judge. And I'm thankful that he is the judge because at least I know the judgment will be right. No matter what it is, it's going to be right. And people will say, well, and they get up there and say, well, really, it wasn't like that. You're not going to be saying that. Because he knows exactly how it was like. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason to say anything. And I have a good feeling we won't be saying a whole lot. As a matter of fact, we'll let him do the talking. And the main thing we'll probably be saying is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right, I'm wrong, you're right, I'm wrong. I mean, that's where it's going to come down to. But all the saved from the death of Christ, that's New Testament, that's when New Testament started, is when he died, the death of the testator, brings in the testament, until now, and to the rapture, we're going to be there, and it'll be a must appear. And so a lot of people don't think about that. I think if people realize they're going to stand before the Lord, they might do differently. Now, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. It's a Sunday night, and we've got a good crowd here on a Sunday evening in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. And that's a great blessing. But the truth is, not everybody has a good crowd on Sunday nights. And the truth is, there's a lot of people here this morning that's not here tonight. And a lot of them are great people. They're good people. And I'm not mad at them for not coming, to be honest with you. I, when when um, I first started preaching, I said, man, you better be here Sunday, and I'd get on them, and, and I still believe we ought to be here every time the doors are open, if it's at all possible. But now I've come to the conclusion, and after years and years of pastoring, when you're young, you're really dumb, you know. And I thought, and somewhere along the line, I thought, some of these preachers I'm hearing now, and I still see it, and I think, yep, they're not there yet, are they? And they get after people, and they'd rather run somebody off that comes on Sunday morning that doesn't come on Sunday night than have them come on Sunday morning. And I always thought, well, if they're only going to come one time, I'd rather them come to Gethsemane. You know, <laughs> why run somebody off because they only come one time? Thank God they're coming one time. We're glad to have them. And many of them are great people and good people and good Christian people as far as that's concerned. But why in the world would you run somebody off? I don't understand that, but 
I realize the zeal and stuff, but sometimes you're just young and dumb. But I know this much, we're all going to appear. And if we realize truly that we're going to appear, we might be more careful in how we serve the Lord. And there's more than that. There's three things, and that's just the short one. Here's the next one. Um, we may receive is the second thing. Look in verse 10 again. For we must all appear, not just some, all. All appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, not just everyone, every, so many of us, but everyone may receive, may receive, may receive what? The things done in his body, according to that, he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Have you done things in your body you're ashamed of? <laughs> if you're not saying yes, you're not human. It don't matter who you are in here. Well, guess what? We're going to stand before the Lord one day. So he'll never know. You can bet your life he knows. He's watching the whole time. Everyone, and when I say that, I'm speaking to myself and everybody because none of us are exempt of doing things we shouldn't have done in our life. I don't care who you are. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all, none of us are perfect. But we're going to stand before him. But it's really more than that. It's not really so much that the Lord's judging us on sin, particularly on sin, because he judged that at Calvary. What he's judging us on is good service and bad service. That's what it boils down to at the judgment seat of Christ. Have you been a good servant or have you been a bad servant? The Bible talks about in there that he'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those have got to be the best words a Christian could ever hear. I just have a feeling when Stephen got stoned to death over there and died, and he looked up just before he died, and he saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of the Father, ready to receive him up, and he went up. I just have a great feeling that the Lord told him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That guy served the Lord, not just all the way, but to the death. I mean, they were stoning him. And while they were stoning him, he just kept on, he preached to them and called them murderers and everything else. And the truth is, they were murderers. Because that was the same bunch that crucified the Lord. And they committed murders. What they did, he didn't deserve to die. But there's old Stephen. Well done, thou good and faithful servants. But I don't think he's going to say that to everybody. There's people I can think of in my mind, and I never think of it when there's a younger person, you don't never know how they're going to end up. Because I've seen young Christians, young preachers, they get going, and they're doing great, and all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, they get out and mess up. And then, or, they, or they change and, and lower their standards on something and just so that they can fit in and be popular. And I think, well, they didn't finish well, that's for sure. But then you see some like Brother McFadden that comes or somebody like that. When I think about him, he's pushing 80, and he's come, and he's given his life to the ministry. And I don't know what he's going to do from here on out, but I have a really good feeling that he's probably finishing right at this point. I think if he was going to mess up, he probably already would have by now. I, mean, I tease him. You know, his wife passed away. I said, those widows in those churches you preach to aren't after you, are they? Y'all don't think I talk to him like that, but I do. I just have, he, oh, no. He said, I'm not, he said, I'm not interested in a woman. He, he, said, I'm, he said, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. He said, I'm, I'm done. Not, that ain't never happening. He said, I don't care nothing about that. He said, they don't bother an ugly man like me. He's what he said. You know, he's real humble. You know, that's how he talks. So, but anyway, I just tease him. I've known him my entire life. But I probably shouldn't say that, but I did anyway. 
But you know what? He's not out there chasing women or doing things like that. That guy's serving the Lord is what he's doing. I don't know where he's at right now, but I'd say he drove a long distance to get there, and he's preaching the truth is what he's doing. So there are some people, you can see that, you know. But some of them, I've seen people that started out right and didn't end right, and then I've seen people that didn't start out right but did end right. The main thing is how you end. That's the most important thing. And so everybody's got to stand before the Lord, whether it be good service or bad service. We've had a lot of good ones pass away from our church, and they weren't preachers. But you don't got to be a preacher for the Lord to say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. We're all his servants. We ought to all strive for that. I can't think of a better thing. That'd be better than winning a gold medal at the Olympics. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's bigger than that. It's bigger than winning a world championship or an NCAA championship or whatever it might be. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, they're all in an event, and they're all trying to win the championship, but we're also an event called life. And we're trying to win as far as stay right and do right all the way to the end and receive rewards at the end because we've been faithful to him. And that's something we ought to all desire. Now, take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And I think, I believe that these scriptures deal with this subject that I'm about to show you. They don't say the judgment seat of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 20. Well, let's start on down here. It, it talks about Christ, it talks about a husband and wife, but it's really not even talking about a husband and wife. It's showing that the husband and wife relationship is like Christ and the church. And the whole subject really is Christ and the church. But God made a husband and wife because he knew there'd be a church and all that, and he put all that together. God did all this. He's the one that started the church. He's the one that started marriage. So, he, I mean, he did it all, and he put it all together. Look down in verse 21. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, and his husbands say, that's right, listen up. Well, this is not written to you. It says wives. It's written to wives, not husbands. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ. Notice it starts likening the two. Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Well, that's written to the wives. What about husbands? Well, here's your admonition. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, did you get that right there? Husbands ought to love their wives the same way that Christ loved the church. Now, how did he love the church? He died for the church. Then a husband ought to be willing to die for his wife. Now, if he loves his wife enough to die for her and she knows that, then she ought to follow him is what the Bible says. And, and that's right. A husband is right by loving her that way, and a wife's right by following her husband if he loves her that way. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Husbands, love your wives. So that's important. There ought to be love in the home. All right? A little bit more. So it's likened unto Christ and the church. There's no doubt about that. Verse 26. That he, that's Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it. That's the church. How? With the washing of water by the word. Now, when you see that, that's not talking about getting baptized. That's talking about the word of God cleansing you. The Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse number 
3, it says, Now you are clean by the word. The Bible says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. That means to set apart. How do we do it? By the word of God. So the word of God is very important. And then it says in verse 27, That he might present it to himself. He's presenting the church to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, a friend of mine the other day said, You've got, well, what happens is when you get baptized in the baptistry, it washes your sins away. And we say that's the silliest thing you've ever heard in your life. Have you seen our water? It can't even wash dirt away half the time. That's not washing anything away. You say, what washes away? The blood of Jesus Christ is what washes sins away. And you don't get that when you get in the baptistry. You get that when you receive Christ as your personal Savior. That's how that happens. That's the way that works. But notice this. There's two cleansings for each of us, the church. The first cleansing is at salvation. That's the first cleansing. The first time you've been cleaned is when you've been saved. Just like the Bible says, uh, be fishers of men. He that winneth souls is wise. You know the Bible talks about soul winning and it likens it unto fishing. It makes us like fish, but we're men and women. You know what fish have to do? It's our job. When you catch a fish, that's okay, but you can't eat it till you clean it. And the way it works with soul winning, if we caught somebody, so to speak, we get somebody and bring them to Christ, all we can do is catch them. We win them, but it's Christ's job to cleanse them. We can't save them is what I'm saying. Christ has to do that. Now, we can witness to them and tell them about the Lord and the gospel and all that, and that's our job as Christians. We ought to be witnesses. We ought to tell others. But it's Christ that does the cleansing, and I'm thankful that he can do that. He's the only one that can do it too, by the way. And so we catch the fish, he cleans the fish. That's how it works. If he doesn't clean the fish, then you have to throw him back because you didn't really catch one. It's just so he gets off the hook or whatever. He's got to clean the fish. And so that's your first cleansing. It's salvation. The, when you get saved, the Lord forgives you and cleanses you of your sin. But the truth is, even after we're saved, we still sin because we live in this old wretched body. Sadie's seven. She talks to me a lot about salvation. She's not been saved yet. She's getting there, but letting the Lord work on that. That's his business. But anyway, when the time's right, she will be, but I'm glad she's thinking about it. And anyway, but she said, do people sin after they get saved? I said, do they ever? <laughs> you never stop as long as you're in this flesh, but the truth is to stay in fellowship with God, we got to seek forgiveness every day. And so we go to the Lord every day. I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins and all those. I do that every day. He said, well, I, don't, I know a preacher right now, a Baptist preacher. He says, now, once you get saved, you never even have to ask God to forgive you of sins. You're just as, and let me tell you something. I know you're saved, but the truth is, you're not going to be in the right standing with him. You're not, that's not right. We need forgiveness because of our daily walk. You get mad at your spouse, somebody just hang up on them and never, and just go ahead and give them a good cussing. You say, you shouldn't say that. Well, don't really do it, but I'm just saying, let's see what happens if you did, did do it. And then when they come back and say, get over it, that ain't going to happen. No, you're going to start saying, I'm really sorry for the way I talked to you. And that's how that works. And if you don't, the relationship's not going to be right. That's just the way it is. And so the Lord wants us to have the right relationship. If you want to stay in fellowship with God, you've got to have forgiveness. 
And so there's a second cleansing as well. Now, take your Bible for a second. And, and, uh, yeah, the second. Go to Revelation chapter um, 19. Right at the back of your Bible. Easy to find. Go to maps and hang a left. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. And here's a scene that takes place in heaven. In Revelation 19, 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife, you say, who's that? The people he spoke of in 1 Corinthians, or Ephesians chapter 5, rather, we just read about. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Then we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb and all this business. And then in verse 11, you see the Lord coming back at his second coming. I believe this takes place about the end of the tribulation period or somewhere in there. And the Lord is judging those that have been saved. And notice the first thing is she made herself ready. And she was given fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of his saints. Now you start reading the Bible and looking. And the only thing I can think of for her to get that is she's got to go through something in order to get it. Because none of us are perfect. Even though we've been saved and we've been sealed into the day of redemption, our soul's been born again, your flesh hadn't been. And we're going to get a new body someday. But we're going to have to stand before God and go through a judgment. And when we go through that judgment seat of Christ, once we get all that, we can be without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. We can be ready for the marriage of the Lamb. And we're going to receive a garment. And that garment is fine linen, clean and white. You say, why? That's what a bride wears. A bride wears white. It's usually fine linen. It's very nice, valuable, um, very expensive. I'll just tell you daddies right now. I'm just going to make a suggestion to you. If you have that channel that says say yes to the dress, just cut your TV off. That's going to cost you way more than you ever dreamed of in your life. <laughs> they ought to outlaw that show. I mean, my goodness. I'd come home and all of them be just sitting there watching that for hours. I thought, this is about to get expensive. And this is not good. It's bad. You want to go dress shopping, Daddy? Not really. What's that supposed to mean? Why am I getting to go all of a sudden? I know why. <laughs> I don't even want to go. <laughs> but in, the, in, in heaven, when we had the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church is likened unto a woman. And it's just a feminine way. It's not really, it's men and women alike now. But it's not a, it's not a physical marriage. It's a spiritual marriage. So it's different when we say that. So it's not a physical thing. So don't get your feathers ruffled, men. That's how the Lord is likened us. And if he's likened us that way in that regard, in the spiritual sense, then that's the way we ought to be likened. Because he's always right. But there's going to be a cleansing at the judgment seat of Christ. So take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians 3. When I read that in Revelation 19, that's the only one way I know of that we can really get clean before we have that marriage, and that's to go through the judgment. And when you go through that judgment, you've got to go through the fire, the Bible says. And let's see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you've got a first cleansing. When's it? Salvation. 
Then you've got a second cleansing just before the wedding takes place that has to be done, and that's the judgment. And notice in second, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. Now, if you're going to build a building, you better have a foundation. They built this building. They tore down the old building. And I mean, this pad is a big concrete pad. But before there was a pad, concrete pad, it was a dirt pad. And they had bulldozers in here and all that stuff. And I mean, it was a lot of money. They was bringing dump truck loads of dirt and raising this up. Then you know what they did? They went around the edges of this building all the way around it. And they dug a deep footing. And it was deep too. Then when they dug that footing, they put rebar all the way around this thing. And I mean, it's something else. And before they poured the pad, they came and they poured the footings. And so all the footings got poured. Now, Brother Luke's built a lot of houses, more than anybody else in here, and um, more than most people that will ever do in their lifetime. And he's built houses, and every time he built a house, they always had to have a foundation. He didn't just start building a building without a foundation. He said, well, we can do that later. You do that first. You got the foundation first or the, the, the house will fall to the ground. A house is no stronger, stronger than the foundation. We got all this red iron in here. That red iron, they say, will hold up to 130 mile an hour winds. It wouldn't if that foundation wasn't good because that red iron is connected in deep boats that were poured in that concrete. And it's connected in all those spots deep. And it's holding it in. But could you imagine if you just put those boats down in the ground and dirt and just said, oh, that's good enough. This thing would have already collapsed probably. <laughs> it had been over with. But I'm thankful that we got a good foundation. Now, as Christians, we have a good foundation too, and that's Christ. See, if you're not anchored in Christ, you're going to collapse. Your building is not going to pass cold. You're in big trouble. And so we've got to have that. And so... That's our foundation. That's getting saved. But after you get saved, you're to build on it. A lot of people get saved, they never build on it. I see people, I saw a guy one time pour a nice big pads getting ready to build, and he died. And for years, you drive by that thing, there's just concrete out there. You think, well, man, he don't have anything to show for it. I mean, he's got a concrete pad. He's got a foundation. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Christians like that. A lot of Christians have a big concrete pad out there and nothing else. Nothing to show for their entire life. They've never done anything for the Lord. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, what do you build? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Those are the only kind of things you can build. Notice the difference. Gold, silver, precious stones. Those are good things. Then wood, hay, and stubble. That's dead things. You get wood, it burns up. Hay, it's going to burn up. That grass, it's going to burn. Stubble, that's what's left after you get all the good stuff out. They burn, farmers burn that stubble all the time. And if they don't burn it, they'll roll it and let it rot out or who knows what. Verse 13, every man's work, we ought to work after we're saved, shall be made manifest. You get that? Every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, it's going to be seen what you have or have not done for the Lord. For the day, anytime you see that, that's the end times. For the day shall declare it. That's the judgment day. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
So what you're going to have is you're going to have all your works, good and bad, and the Lord's going to take them and throw them in the fire. And you know what's going to happen? Those dead things are just going to burn up, consume, and go away. But those things that you did for Christ that were right, like gold and silver and precious stones, what the fire does with gold and silver is it purifies it. And it takes it and it separates the dross, the impurities that's in those stones. And fire does that. That's how they purify metals. And they separate the dross and they get rid of the dross. And then all you got left is pure gold and pure silver and pure stones and all that kind of stuff. But you got to get rid of the bad stuff first. And the fire is going to do that. But if you got just good works, living works, gold, silver, precious stones, that'll be good. But if you have dead works like wood, hay, and stubble, I mean, if you're just living your life just for you, that's wood, hay, and stubble. If you're just living your life, say, well, I'll just, I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm saved, and I'm glad, and I'm, I'm going to go to heaven, but, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm done with all that. Well, good luck, good, way, good wood, hay, and stubble. We'll see how you make out in the judgment with your rewards. It won't be good. And the Lord's going to flash up everything you've done in your body, whether it be good or bad, and it's going to appear right there. It's going to be manifest. And, you know, there's going to be a big crowd there that day, too. You know that, don't you? Hmm. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever sort it is, the fire is going to show it. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon. Look, we're building on the foundation. It's a work to build on the foundation. We're saved, now we're to work after we're saved. He shall receive a reward. If your works have been good and they've honored Christ, then you're going to get a reward for that. If your works have all been about you and your flesh and everything else, then you won't get a reward for that. If any man's work shall be burned, verse 15, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. I mean, when you get there, you're saved, but your works is what's going to go away. And you won't have anything to show for it. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. That's pretty plain, isn't it? You've got a body, it's a temple, the Spirit of God lives in it. And it's our job to make sure we're doing right with it. If you don't, well... That's not good. You're defiling the temple. And just like in 1 Corinthians 11, when people take the Lord's Supper, I can tell you right now, I can point out people that are probably, I think, deal with illnesses right now because they were living like the devil and taking that when they shouldn't have been taking it. You know, look at me like I'm crazy. It says it in the Bible very plainly. You better be careful how you're living and treating the Lord. You say, well, that, that's just what the Bible says. You don't think the Bible isn't real? He don't mean what he says. You that deal with stuff think it is. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We ought to try to be sure we do right for the Lord is what we need to do. So what's, you got dead works and living works. What's a living work? How about a good prayer life? We ought to work on our prayer life, hadn't we? What's a living work? Reading our Bible, studying our Bible. That's a good living work right there. What's a good living work? So winning, telling others, just being an example and a testimony for Christ. We ought to do that. The Bible doesn't say you can't go out and have fun and enjoy life, but you ought to always be a testimony for him while you're doing those things. That's what's important. Coming to church and being part of church and being serving in your church, those kind of things. God 
remembers that kind of stuff. So we notice there's a must appear, we may receive. Wouldn't you like to get some rewards that you could give back to the Lord? I'd like to have some of those for him. And then it told us over there in 2 Corinthians 5, it said, knowing the terror. Did you get that? Now, I was preaching years ago at church camp, and I got up there, and I said, you know, the judgment seat of Christ, all of us that are saved are going to stand before it. And it's not going to be pleasant. The Bible says, knowing the terror thereof. And this preacher decided he's going to correct me. And so when he got up to preach, he said, well, everybody's talking about the judgment and how we're going to be scared and afraid. He said, we're not going to be afraid. Take turn to 1 John 4, and I'll show you what he, what he showed. And he didn't really know what he was talking about. He'll be in for a shock. 1 John 4. And I wasn't making a controversial statement. I was just said, I'm not looking forward to standing before the Lord and having to give an account of my life to him. Because I know there's many times that I've let him down. I know that I've been born again. I know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But the truth is, after I've been saved, there's things I've not been happy about. And he hasn't been happy about it. Any of y'all that way? Well, I'd hope I think you are. I don't look forward to him standing before him. I'm not so worried about each of you. I'm more worried about me because <laughs> I know what I've done. <laughs> All right. First John chapter 4, verse 18. Matter of fact, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is what he quoted. See, the day of judgment, we can have boldness there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He said anybody that says that it'll, we'll have terror and be scared at the judgment, why, well, they don't know their Bible. I, and I was thinking, I just read you the Bible. But here's the problem. That guy misapplied it. And what he misapplied is this. We don't have fear when we stand before the Lord as far as salvation is concerned. That's what the context is here. The context is, I've been saved. I'm not worried about dying and going to hell because I've got that right with the Lord. What I'm worried about is what I've done, whether it be good or bad in my body, since I've been saved. That's where the terror comes in. It's not, oh boy, I'm at the judgment seat. If you make it the judgment seat of Christ, you're saved, buddy. <laughs> That's all there is to it. You won't, you're going to a different judgment if you're not. And I stand for it. I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to plead for my life. I can be saved. No, I've already taken care of salvation on earth. That's handled. But we'll stand before the Lord and give an account of what we've done, whether it be good or bad in our bodies. That's where that's going to happen. The Bible says I can be confident in Philippians 1, 6, that he that hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm not worried about that end of it. I've been saved. What I'm worried about is the part where I've let him down. And I don't care who you are, we've all let him down. No matter preacher, not preacher, it makes no difference. Husband, wife, um, men, women, boys, girls, everybody lets the Lord down. And we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Now what we ought to do is we ought to just go out with a bang. We ought to say, well, I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to try to make this as easy as possible. I'm just going to go ahead and make up my mind. I'm going to serve him while I'm here. And let me say, he ought to be served. People say, well, it's so hard to serve the Lord. The Bible says the commandments of God are not grievous. It's not hard to serve Him. You get right with Him, you'll enjoy serving Him. The greatest life in the world is living for Christ. 
It's the best life. And you get to enjoy all the other parts of life. Eating, food. What else is there? Anything else? I can't even remember. <laughs> Those are the main things, right? <laughs> Having fun. All that stuff. It just makes, it makes everything about life better. Whatever you enjoy. If you like to hunt, you like to fish, you like to go shopping, whatever it might be. Well, you enjoy those things, that's fine. You like to play basketball or baseball or softball or golf, if that's your thing, that's fine. But if, you start, if you're right with the Lord and serving Him, you can enjoy those things a whole lot better, see? That makes life worth living. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you're going to truly live, you've got to live for Christ because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, let's stand together. We'll have an invitation. More Bible teaching, but... I think it need to be done. Sister Pauline, come on. We'll have a little invitation tonight. I'm done. You need to get that in your mind. We're going to stand before him. Let's try to do right. And that's an individual thing. I can't make you do right. You can't make me do right. Do right. Each of us have to make up our minds individually. We're going to serve him. That's how we got to do it. Right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for blessing us and watching over us and and I pray that you'd bless this invitation. And Lord, we know that one day we will stand before you and help us be good servants of yours. And, and we do desire for you to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we also understand if we're not good and faithful, you won't say it. Lord, help us be good and faithful to you. You've been good and faithful to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You come tonight. And if you've got things in your life, say, well, I had not been serving him too good. It's always a good time to change that. <laughs>